0: Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash wehaveways.
1: Hello, I'm James Holland and I hope you won't mind me mentioning my new book, Sicily 43, which is out now. The campaign remains an often forgotten one, yet, as I discovered, the 38-day battle for Sicily is an extraordinary and complete story, and one that involves breathtaking action at sea, in the air, and on land. Its conquest involved the largest airborne operations ever witnessed up to that point. Daring raids by special forces, the harnessing of the mafia, attacks across mosquito-infested plains, assaults up almost sheer faces of rock and scrub, and featured an astonishing array of highly colourful characters. It was a period in which fascism was overthrown in Italy, Mussolini was toppled, and in which the pattern for the rest of the war in the West was set. As I was writing it, I was swept away by the incredible human drama and by the relentless heat dust, mosquitoes and the brutal terrain. There's a special edition with extra content at waterstones.com, but you can also get it at Amazon, an array of supermarkets or any of those brilliant independents that are dotted around the country. Thank you for listening and ciao for now. Actung, actung. Well, hello everyone, it's James Holland here and I've gone a little bit rogue. I've left Al back down in London um, and I've headed north and I'm currently right on the North Nottinghamshire-South Yorkshire border. Um, And it's quite odd really because this is the day before my new book on Sicily is published, yet it's also the kind of first proper day of going out into the field to research The next book, which uh, is going to be called Brothers in Arms, and which is about the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry. Um, Actually, it was inspired by one of the guests we had on not long ago, John Orloff, one of the writers of Band of Brothers, and it kind of got me thinking about that and the fact that Band of Brothers was such an iconic book when it first came out, Um, and obviously has been that amazing TV series as well, which everyone loves, I mean, not least me. But it made me think it would be good to do a kind of very human drama-led sort of elegiac account of one particular unit, um, and the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry is a is a is a British Army unit that I'm particularly associated with, not least because I'm very good friends with David Christofferson, who was the son of Stanley Christofferson, who took over command of the Sherwood Rangers, just uh, a few days after D-Day and was still in command right at the end of the war. And some years ago, I edited his diaries and got to interview lots of survivors. And um, those of you who've been listening to Bob pod may remember that not so long ago, I went to see Stan Perry, who was the the last surviving officer of the Sherwood Rangers, um, and interviewed him at some length, and fascinating that was too, but uh, I'm up here today because I'm going to Thorsby, which is uh, where the Regimental Museum is and where they have their archives, see what they've got. Go and talk to Steve Cox, who's the curator there. Um, but I've also come up here to see Jonathan Hunt, who is the Honorary Colonel um, of the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry, which is still has a, um, a, a TA unit. And we're trying to solve one of those historical dilemmas which occurs every so often. And this is about D-Day. Uh, and it's about the about the issue of timing. Because there are, um, even when you look at primary sources, such as battalion war diaries and regimental diaries, often there's discrepancies. Uh, and we're trying to unravel a discrepancy about the timing of when the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry landed on D-Day. Now, they were there as part of 8th Armoured Brigade, part of 50th Division, uh, landing on Gold Beach. And they were supporting 231 Malta Brigade, which had the Hampshires, Dorsets and Devons. So kind of local regiments to me, really, um, down where I live, um, down in Wiltshire. Uh, And there does seem to be a problem, an issue over exactly when they landed. And this is something that I'm very, very keen indeed to try and straighten out. Right, so I'm now with Jonathan Hunt, who commanded the squadron, Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry Squadron, um, back in 1980, weren't you? You were commanding that in Cold yes. War exercises in Germany. I was. Um, but yeah. also a historian of, of the regiment. So a very useful person for me to talk to um, as I'm beginning my own history and own research into what happened to the Sherwood Rangers in from D-Day onwards. And on D-Day, there is this big... Um, debate, really, about timings and who was where um, and when. So to just summarise this, um, the Sherwood Rangers were 8th Armoured Brigade, which was an independent armoured brigade. So they were then attached to various divisions, uh, and certainly in the first on D-Day and the first part of the Normandy campaign, to 50th Division. And 50th Division uh, was landing in, in two distinct areas, but the one that was furthest West on Gold Beach was around Le Hamel and Asnel, which is just to the east of Aramanch, famous later because of the Mulberry Harbour and all the rest of it. And they were supposed to land on a section of the beach called Jig Green with the Sherwood Rangers there to support. But actually most of the infantry, um, the Dorsets and the Hampshires, the first Dorsets and the first Hampshires, A and B companies in both battalions, landed, what, about a mile further east, Jonathan?
0: Yes, yes.
1: On Jig Red. And and this is a problem because Jig Red has very sort of clay, soft sand there and isn't suitable for armour. Correct. So they're supported by AVERYs, which is the um, Armoured Vehicles Royal Engineers. So this is the flail tanks and, and, and mine clearers and all the rest of it and bunker busters and so on. Um, So they've got those supporting them and they've got the Sherwood Rangers. And the big dispute is over the fact that according to the 231st Malta Brigade, to which the Hampshires and the Dorsets and indeed the Devons all belong, they didn't see the Sherwood Rangers. So they felt that they weren't being supported by the tanks. So So the suggestion is that the Sherwood Rangers landed a lot later than they claimed to have. Landed. That is basically the nub of the, yes, of the dispute. Yes, that's right. However, we think they've got that wrong, don't we? Um and, and and this just goes to show though how difficult it can be sometimes to kind of wade your way through primary sources which are contradictory and conflicting. And so what we've got here is the war diary of the two hundred and thirty-first Infantry Brigade headquarters. This is a document that anyone can go and look at um, at the National Archives in Kew. And the key bit of um, evidence here is 0640. And it says the eight LCTs, this is landing craft tanks carrying the DD tanks. This is the Sherwood Rangers, the special swimming tanks, because two squadrons, B and C squadron of the Sherwood Rangers were equipped with DD tanks having just returned through failure to float the tanks, is passing us going seawards, i.e. away from the shore. They're turning back. There is the sound of the most terrific fire, which continues unceasingly. And that is where the whole dispute has started from, followed by the fact that once you've got these guys, these infantry are actually on the beach, they're reporting that they haven't seen any tanks. But you're going to unpick this for me, aren't you, Jonathan?
0: Yes, I mean, it... it the the whole the thing is that um, uh, that the shared Rangers uh, say and did land on Gold Jig Green. Which so this is right. further west from Jig yeah. Red. And further res, west than Jig Red. And the bit of the beach that 231 Brigade was supposed to land on but didn't. So, in fact, the Sherd Rangers' story is that they landed where they should have landed at the time that they should have landed and found themselves uh, on the beach with with no infantry support to attack and take out the defences ahead of them.
2: And, 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 you
1: know, you've been there a zillion times, I've been there a zillion yes. times. There's that bunker there, isn't there, yes. at Le Hamel. So for those of you who haven't been to Gold Beach, the westernmost part of, of Gold Beach, or, or rather I should say Jig Green, that section of the beach, is around this little hamlet called Le Hamel. Yes. A- and you can go and stand there on the kind of sort of, uh, on the sea wall. Yes. Overlooking the beach is this bunker, which did have, I think, a, over a 50mm or a 75mm gun, an anti-tank yes. gun. I can't remember which one it was. But anyway, it sat there. Uh, uh, and there it is. And that is a big problem if you're landing without infantry, because armour and infantry needs to operate together so that you've got the infantry being the eyes on the ground and the armour suppi- um, supplying the fire
0: support. Yes, because the other element of the, that was supposed to land as a package with the brigade were the engineers with their funnies of um, flail tanks. And, this is the Averies. Yes, and the Averies and and so forth. And they definitely also, their war diary says that they did land on red, not green. Jig red, just to remind you, is exactly. further, further far, east. Far, further east. So the the infantry and the engineers were not on the section of the beach where they had intended to land they were further east but the shored rangers landing craft had launched the shored rangers in the right place and the shored rangers were on that bit of the beach and on their own basically uh, without the equipment to take out the uh, gun emplacement and they were losing tanks they there were 32 uh, amphibious tanks Landed. So that's endorsed. two squadrons of sixteen. Yes, two squadrons of sixteen. And these are all DD tanks. Yes, and they they lost. Um, I can't remember the exact mo- uh, numbers, but they lost seven swimming in, yep. uh, roughly equally from each squadron, and they lost um, another six or so on the beach, uh, knocked out by this um, uh, this gun that was enfilading the beach right. by shooting along the beach. Not and that's there. the bunker you can still see yeah, to this day? to this day. And um, and so they were held up on the beach and everything was held up behind them. Right. Uh, and they were rescued in the end by the good old gunners. I mean, whoever is uh, deliberately polite about the gunners, but on this occasion, we really had to be. Uh, because they were the uh, gunner regiment, the Essex Yeomanry, the gunner regiment that was supporting the Showed Rangers and there, one of their uh, guns, big guns, had landed and he charged the, uh, the, the, the position and managed to get around through the aperture of this emplacement and knocked uh, the gun out. Good. Which, uh, that's the thing that fra- freed the Sherwood Rangers then right. to cut get off the beach.
1: I must just tell you that the first time I ever went there was was 2004, which, of course, was the 60th anniversary of D-Day. And I was with my great mate, David Christofferson. And he was saying, oh, you know, this is where they all landed. And, you know, my dad came came ashore and they had this terrible problem with this gunner. And he said and um, and he said and then then this chap from the Essex Yeomanry came along and and did this shot and saved him. And there was this little chap standing next to him, in a blazer with his beret on with medals. And he went. That Was me, <laughs> <laughs> David went, Good gracious, I don't believe it. And he said, Yep, that was me. I did that shot. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. But, but the so, if the infantry, the um, if if, if the the ha- first Hampshires and first Dorsets are landing on jig red, what are we talking about distance wise from from where the Sherwood Rangers are landing on jig green? About a mile, something like that, yes, yeah,
0: so a, a gold. Gold beach, all these beaches which uh, were about were the same dimensions they were about four miles wide right, and um, they were divided into two uh sectors uh, of um which had code names and and the right hand sector of gold was called jig and the left hand sector was called King
1: as you're attacking it yes yeah
0: and and the and then each of those sectors. Um, were two miles. So King, King, and King is where the greenhouses. Isn't yes, it? exactly. And uh, so each of those sectors are two miles wide. Yeah. And um, what was supposed to happen was a battalion supported by a squadron of tanks was uh, supposed to land in each half of Jig, right, and, a, and another in each half of King. Got so you. then, so, so you got jig green jig, jig, red. jig green, jig red, king he green, did. king red. Yeah. But in the case of the right-hand sector, jig, the they, uh, reconnaissance before the day had found this clay, right. on jig red, which made it unusable for armour, and therefore the whole of two-three-one brigade was redirected to land on jig green. Got you. And that would have been a mile wide. So if the brigade actually landed on Jig Red with its right flank on the boundary between Jig Red and Jig Green, it was effectively a whole mile to the east of where it got should be have it. been. So we've got sort of, you know, but but there's no disputing the
1: fact that, that the Hampshire's and the Dorset's when they land can't see the Sherwood Rangers. They can't see anywhere. As far as they're concerned, they're landing with a few averies which are getting bogged down. Correct. And otherwise they're on their own.
0: And they're up to a mile apart. That's the point.
1: Well, the the, the point is, I mean, I think think that is very, very easily explained because first of all, you've got terrible, you know, you've got very, very low cloud. Yes. A a mizzle. um, So you've got low visibility anyway. The fog of war. And you've got huge amounts of smoke.
0: Yeah.
1: And you've got sort of rough surf. Yes. and you're getting off that beach and you're not going to be sort of looking around going, where the hell are the Sherwood Rangers? Well, you, you might be thinking, where's my fire support?
0: But you're not going to be sort of pausing no, with your binoculars, are you? Under fire. They were, the Hampshire's, were furiously under fire. Yeah. I mean, they suffered huge casualties. This is one of the other features. The, both their point battalions, the commanding officers were either killed or wounded. Yes, they are, yeah. And the, and their seconds in command, one of the seconds in yeah. command as well, and when that kind of thing happens and company commanders when that sort of thing happens you, you it doesn't you cannot think that, that, that any uh, military formation that doesn't stop and have to regroup itself right before because somebody else has to take command and direction and so forth and so the momentum is lost and the focus is lost um, and, you know, the same thing happened to the salt engineers, the squadron leader, of the uh, he was killed. Yes,
1: yeah, so their whole leadership is, is yes. effectively decapitated, yeah. isn't it? But, but, you know, a mile is quite a long distance. Yes. And, and with smoke and low yes. cloud and the fog of war and all the rest of it, are you going to be able to see a Sherwood, a Sherwood Ranger Sherman yeah. from a mile away? I would suggest possibly not. Well, certainly not clearly. You're not going, you, know, you might if you kind of paused and you got out of your binaries. If
0: you've, if you've ever been um, uh, racing at Newmarket and you looked at the straight mile and a quarter and uh, the, the, a field of um, 30 or 40 horses uh, down at the start is a dot,
1: Right. Okay. So that that, <laughs> that, that you know, Sherman's a big old thing, but it's not that big. So okay. So that explains why the infantry can't see the Sherwood Rangers because the Sherwood Rangers have landed where they're supposed to at La Hamel, mm. and and the infantry of the Hampshire and the Dorsets have landed a mile away, at least, further to the east, where they're surrounded by smoke and the fog of war and all the rest of it. But we've still got this war diary that says 0640. The eight LCTs carrying the DD tanks having just returned through failure to float the tanks, either they're, they're passing seawards. So we've got to explain why this is in the war diary for 231 Malta Brigade, saying that eight LCTs are turning back to the sea towards the, the main, you know, the, they're going out to sea rather than to land
0: with the Shermans on board. Uh, and I have no idea what they were looking at. But what I do think is, when you look at the overall picture of D-Day, uh, Omaha Beach, which is the American's beach to the west of Gold. is about six miles from, from Gold it, Beach, isn't it? It is. Five or six miles. But the coast curves. And therefore, if you were steaming into Omaha from six miles out, which is what the... Uh, dd tanks on omaha did they launched at 6000 yards not yeah. 6 miles 3 miles then you're going to have other people's lcts in the vicinity of um, um, uh, that many miles out to sea and therefore it's perfectly possible to they what they saw was some something else not not a the Sherwood Rangers
1: ones. I mean, the bottom line is it can't
0: be the Sherwood Rangers
1: no, returning to sea be. because we know that, yeah. that seven sink yeah. and that the rest do get ashore. Yes. So regardless of what time they get ashore, they can't get ashore at all if they're returning to sea. Exactly. So, so that, okay, so that clears that one. But there is another bit of evidence which I think is really, really conclusive. And this is an aerial photograph which is taken inland. So they've, this, this is inland from Le Hamel. And, it's, and it, is it part, have they gone through Asnel at this point? They
0: are in there in Asnel.
1: Okay, so we're now looking at an aerial photograph. And I shall get a copy of this and I will make sure that we post this up. And, and this is an aerial photograph which is taken at 12 noon. And we know it's taken at 12 noon because there was a record from the um, RAF photo reconnaissance yes. um, squadron that took it. Yes. To say that this was taken at midday, correct. And what we're looking at here is you can see some farm buildings, you can see fields, you can see. Um, you've very helpfully marked the the south um, uh, the orientation on it, and and you've got a you've got a road coming around a corner, and on that corner are three DD Shermans. And you can see their DD Shermans because you can still see the remains of the kind of skirts around them, the DD kind of canopy. And then you go along the end of this road, there's another junction and you can see another Sherman tank between two buildings. In other words, two are behind, watching the lead one's backside as it sort of scouts forward. But explain to me, Jonathan, why this is significant, because I think this is
0: really, really interesting. The Well, the, we know that the first... Showed Rangers' troop off the beach um, of four tanks. The point tank was knocked out in Le Hamel by an anti-tank gun, not the one on the beach, uh, one on the crossroads, I think, uh, with the coast road and the road that comes off the beach. And um, so that troop, which was the first off the beach, would, at this point, have been three tanks, not four. And... um, so this must be a, a subsequent troop coming through, and because there's all, four of them, exactly. you can see all four of this troop. So, which means that the first troop must have been through at eleven thirty-ish, that type of uh, time, right? And um, and this one's going through at twelve. I mean, the other thing that I think is quite significant is that um, armor, when it's unsupported by infantry, um, has a method of advancing. Uh, particularly through close country, um, which is what this is. We've got fields, hedge, and that kind and lots of buildings different. and farms and so on. It's that it? it will it's called a snake patrol? It uh, it sends the point vehicle forward to quickly forward to the next bound, to and gives to, so that it can get covering fire from the ones behind, and then it then gets to the next bound and it then looks forward and scouts out what's forward and then when it thinks it's safe, it calls the tank behind to come up and join it right? so that it can then uh, give covering fire when the point tank then moves forward onto the next bound beyond. So it's a sort of a caterpillar type of movement called snake patrolling. Um, and, the, which, and the point is here is they are doing this on their own without their own. infantry. So the, the, so the question is, 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 is they've got no infantry. They wouldn't need to do that because the infantry would go forward for them. If they had infantry, so where are the infantry? Well, they—we know that they are coming into Asnell at that time. The—the the, we know that um, uh, the two point battalions that the Hampshire's have turned down the coast road uh, from the east to try and get into La Hamel, because rather than rather than going along
1: the beach, moving yes. moving. Westwards along the beach towards La Hamel, they've instead got off the beach, over yes. the dunes, onto that coast road, yes, which is so the, the, which is basically the same coast road it is today. Yes, exactly.
0: And and but they've been held up by the enemy in La Hamel, uh, and have not managed to get in from the east. And then the um, the left-hand battalion uh, at the Dorsets, yeah, uh, we know that they have gone further inland and then turned east and have come round the top and so have got into asnell from the east and it, but they don't get until after midday do they they, they it, it, it's around about the same sort of time so okay. i would expect because they then did meet up the sherd rangers and the um the devons did um did meet up um around about midday and then so they everybody joined up, and then you know, the Sherwood Rangers... So after midday, debate, after sort everything, of...
1: Hot, everything worked. From about sort of midday. half past 12 onwards exactly. on D-Day, it's all absolutely going exactly. fine. But what this what this photograph, this aerial photograph tells you is that, that at midday in Asnell, their objective, the Sherwood Rangers are there, which suggests yeah. that they did land where they were supposed to have landed, yes. on jig green rather than jig red where the infantry yes. land. And that they've pushed inland on their own without the infantry. Yes, correct. Rather than turning around, yes. going back to seawards.
0: In fact, when you look at the map, um, they're headed, uh, their direction of travel is taking them to a little hamlet called Buho, right. which was their RV uh, when they, they were supposed to con- congregate there once they had um, completed their task supporting the infantry off the beach. And so. Uh, that uh, you know it's a perfectly logical route that they were taking,
1: well, this is all absolutely fascinating and what it also tells me is that I need to leave absolutely no stone unturned on this, and I think there's a little bit more to more to be done on this um from both from oral testimonies yes. but also from from documentation because naval documentation is also going to be key on this but but Jonathan, that's just fantastic um and it's why. Um, You know, a lot of history and a lot of researching is actually effectively like detective work. It's about getting little clues and piecing things together. Mm. Um, And while it's always the kind of the human drama that kind of drew me in in the first place, little kind of problems and conundrums and and debates like this are really, really good fun to try and unravel. So thank you. Indeed.
0: Indeed. And it's also the case, I I find, that uh, when you've written a piece of history and you've done the research, you almost don't mind whether anybody reads it or not because it has been so fascinating <laughs> to, to unearth the actual truth and the story. For it's a very sort of personal thing, is, is it not?
1: It is, but it's also yeah. nice to sort of get yes. it down in, in sort of hard, yes, hard print. That um, that well, there is another. Let's let's face it. There's another reason for trying to get this this absolutely nailed, um, and that is because. New narratives of what happened can be set in stone, become set in stone, and the, there's a new memorial, isn't there, in in Normandy. Yes. And we want to make sure that yes, the correct story is on that memorial yes. for
0: those for those who who did it. Yep.
1: Um, so I'm I'm now at um, Carlton Barracks. Is that what you'd call it, Steve? It's called,
2: sp- Carlton Drill Hall.
1: Carlton Drill Hall. So this is the uh, the home of the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry, um, as they are now, the squadron, uh, part of the TA. Is that right? Part of the TA, it's
2: the A Squadron of the Royal Yeomanry.
1: Right. So um, and it's a rather splendid room. I'm in the mess room here with with Steve Cox, and Steve is. Um, the honorary curator, I should say, um, he's put a huge amount of time and effort into collating and archiving um, the history of the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry. He does it all absolutely off his own back. Um, he is a qualified curator as well. Um, and this room's rather splendid. You know, it's got photographs of um, of commanding officers. There's Stanley Christofferson over there and Donny Player and... Flash Kellett and some of the legends from the Second World War. And they've got rows of, of medals all along here. I mean, I'm looking at um, Stanley's, Stanley Christopherson's medals and um, Mickey Gold's and, um, and, uh, and Mitchell's. Um, and it's amazing. When you look at Christopherson's, you can see the DSO and bar, uh, MC and bar, American Silver Star, I mean, it's 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 pretty impressive, and and you've also over here, Steve. I'm just looking at this huge silver pot. Um, tell me about this one.
2: The silver pot was liberated from Berlin um, when the Shield Rangers got in there, and they took it from behind the backs of the Russians who were in command of the Berlin bunker. Because <laughs> it says this cup was found in the
1: ruins of Hitler's Chancellery in Berlin by Captain Miles Hildyard. Um, and was presented, to, uh, presented by him to the officer's mess, Nottinghamshire Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry, in July 1945. How brilliant, and there it still is, pride of place. Um, so that's fantastic. So um, the reason I'm here, of course, is, is this is, uh, I'm plundering Steve's archive for, um, for what I'm doing, my... Um, Brothers in Arms book. Uh, And this really is day one in in, in many ways. And and Steve's got out photographs and stuff um, and all sorts of documents. And you've got details of what vehicle was being used by who and um, accounts by people and testimonies and stuff. So so it's a really good collection. But I'm really intrigued by this. So this is um, uh, issued fortnightly by the Army Bureau of Current Affairs. It's a little kind of white and red, little thin paper, wartime issue um a booklet. But 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 tell me about it, Steve. Why why is this why is this important? It's significant I should say.
2: This book's called Tiger Tiger Burning Bright and I started reading it's about the Battle of Rory. Right. And it's mentioned in Christopherson's diaries yep. that he was driving along with a reporter with him in his turret. And this was the account, but the Sherwood Rangers are not mentioned in the book.
1: Right, because to do so would be to reveal... Secrets. Secrets and stuff, so they can't say who it is. So we have to guess, reading it, who's who.
2: But there are accounts in the regimental histories of what happened, so Ant- you, can, you can tie it together.
1: Anthony Cottrell, who's, who's quite a famous war correspondent.
2: War sp- yeah.
1: So here we are, yeah. So War Staff writer... Part two, the position was clear, the enemy from... from uh, position was. And it says, clear the enemy from Fontenay. It was now D plus 18. The brigade had been in action all that time and they had suffered many casualties. So this is the 8th Armoured Brigade. The colonel briefed me. So that is Christofferson. Christofferson. B squadron would advance at 4.15am. But it was A squadron, wasn't it, who did the, the, the big um, attack at... Well, maybe not at Fontenay, because this is Fontenay, and Fontenay, then it's up to Roray, isn't it?
2: Roray's involved.
1: But it's fascinating because, of course, this is sort of this is proper reportage, isn't it? It's
2: done on the day when it's on happened. the
1: day. Wonderful kind of verbatim accounts of, of the kind of radio traffic he's listening to. Um, we help knock out a tank. It seems suicidally unresourceful. <laughs> says here, Larwood did, did it with a very fast one. Well, that appeals to me. So, of course, that's a reference to Harold Larwood, the legendary England fast bowler, said the, the squadron commander rather mysteriously. Um, uh, and they did like to talk in terms of um, cricketing references and horse riding. They were famous for that, as, um, as written up by Keith Douglas in his brilliant book that, that Alan and I have talked about, Alamein to Zemzem. And this is the second part, the second is it? Part. So this, presumably, is the Roray bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Tiger, tiger brain,
1: right. Second part. Yeah. It's fantastic. And I've got to say, as a sort of, you know, as a historian, coming across these, these little nuggets, I mean, how would you find that? I'd never have known about this had an not come up here today, Steve, and you, and you collected it. Where did you find this in the first
2: place? Military Book Fair at Duxford. And you just came across it and tweaked. There, there was a pile of books. And when we had Christopherson's diaries to um, go through, yep. he'd actually got a copy pasted in his diary, in his notes. Yep. How and, brilliant. And I got that, so I thought, well, that's that. And I found the other part at home in my collection.
1: Well, I've always kind of thought, you know, this is detective work. It's about piecing pieces together, and this is a classic example of that. I've got to say, Steve, I owe you a massive debt of thanks because you were the one who, who really got underway with Stanley's diaries transcribing them from his rather well, scrawling it was, handwriting.
2: It wasn't done alone. There were several other people involved. Well, who helped, who even so. all volunteers.
1: Yeah, But anyway, you know, we were able to then use that and edit them down and get them published. And, um, of course, the paperback is coming out, well, November this year, so that's exciting. Um, but it's really good fun. It's, it's, it's so exciting to get underway with the research and to see some of this material and you've got maps and there's a mass of photographs over there which I'm going to have to be plundering my way through in a minute um, and it really gets the whole kind of sort of research excitement juices going I've got to say coming up to somewhere like this and also you know there's these little museums and little archives all over the country run by volunteers and people who kind of put the time in for absolutely nothing that ensure that You know, so many of those stories from the Second World War and other wars, because you don't just deal with—it's the whole history of the Sherwood Rangers here, isn't it? But obviously, that's my kind of—that's my my thing. Um, You know, you're helping to ensure that these stories survive. So, you know, we we all should be very grateful to all that you do and and your fellow curators and volunteers and people who, who kind of work so hard to make these things happen. Well, no museum would exist
2: without volunteers.
1: Well, there you go. There you go. And particularly so now in the in this kind of sort of COVID time where, you know, funding's drying up and everything. It's really important that everyone supports them as much as they possibly can. But thanks, Steve. It's um, It's great to get the ball rolling, I must say.